Thanks, Ruth. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here in the eighth week of this series, The Way Forward, on the book of Romans. Next week, Pastor Raul will be concluding this section of Romans. He'll be doing Romans 9, 10, 11. And then we'll take a break for Advent and be teaching the book of Isaiah. We're going to come back and finish Romans in January. Take us all the way to the season of Lent, right before Easter. Uh, today, your sermon title is called The Greatest Sermon Ever. Romans 8, The Greatest Sermon Ever. And you might be sitting there in your seats like, well, I don't think so, Nancy, because remember Pastor Jim did that number on Leviticus that was unbelievable. Listen, I don't want to compete with Pastor Jim and Leviticus, but I got to tell you, today I get the great opportunity to teach Romans 8, and you will hear the entirety of the book read to you by the Noltes. I will do my best to just open us up to where the Spirit wants to encounter you this morning, because punchline, the Spirit wants to encounter you this morning. And one of the greatest pieces in the entirety of the scriptures is here in Romans 8 for us, God's people, this morning. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you for this piece of text, this great encouragement from Romans 8, that when we hurt, you're present. And even in the everyday, God, your spirit is waiting to be unleashed in us. Let, Lord, build us up as a house of faith, Encourage those young and old, male and female, Lord, anyone in the room this morning, we want to encounter your spirit again. Lord, we know that there is power in your name, Jesus. There's power in your word. And so we declare that power, would you unleash it this morning? And all God's people said, amen. Romans 8, the greatest sermon ever. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's quite an interesting verse there. Hang out in the middle of Romans 8, verse 31, if... If, really, Paul, if, if God is for us, Paul clearly is, is utilizing a rhetorical device of rhetorical questions and, and building alignment with the listeners of this letter. This would have been read in the early house churches in Rome, and so he's using these rhetorical questions at the end of the chapter. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because it begs to, the question to be asked. If this is true, our entire life should be different. If. Now, you may not know this, but now you do. There are 1,784 uses of the word if in the Bible. 1,784. Five, just in Romans 8. If. There is great power in this question. If. If this is true, then my life needs to look and feel different. If. Howard Schultz, in his book, Pour Your Heart Into It, says this, that he wrote about the great opportunity about starting the Starbucks brand. He said, this is my moment, I thought. I knew if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity, I would play it in my mind for my whole life, wondering, what if? What if? There are people in this room this morning that have a huge if in your mind. If this week with Thanksgiving is going to be challenging. If... The diagnosis is true if God's spirit is really as powerful as the preacher says if. Paul comes to us through Romans 8 saying that this is the greatest message that God wants to encounter you, that he wants to be so present to you that nothing will separate you from his love. And church, we need that reminder. 
We, we need that reminder that nothing can separate you. In this series, we've, we've spoken about joy. We've spoken about reframing the gospel message. We've spoken about freedom. And this morning through Romans 8, we get the great reminder that we are, are not condemned. We are not criticized. We are set free. And last week, Pastor Ruth did a wonderful job with Romans 7. The end of Romans 7, Paul writes, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? The things that I want to do, I do not do. The things I don't want to do, I somehow uh, allow myself to do. And this is our story. Who will rescue me, says Paul at the end of 7. Thanks be to God. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, you are no longer condemned. And if you study this word in the ancient Greek, do you know what the ancient Greek word for condemned means? Condemned. Exactly the same. It's like you are reminded again. You are not criticized. And though the inner voice might say, wretched man, wretched woman, even my own story, walking in this morning, it's like, who am I to teach this? Wretched. I'm a sinner too. I don't do this perfectly too. And the Spirit of God so wants to end that narrative in your head and say, stop it. If you're with me, then my Spirit lives in you. And there's this great reminder in Romans 8 that we are no longer criticized. We are no longer condemned. And we can build a life like a a home builder builds a home full of God's Spirit dwelling in us. In in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so, church, this is your big idea this morning, that God so longs to build you as a mighty house of faith with a new mindset and a new responsibility in this family of faith and a new life when the Spirit of God fills you with his power. There's a promise this morning, if you're ready, for power. This first point of our outline is the mindset of the uncriticized, of the uncondemned. And these are the first 11 verses of Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If you're in faith, 
then you have the Spirit. If, then, if, says Paul, desires to be responded to. Because if this is true, then this is your story. And if this is your story, says Paul, there's a power that the Spirit is already ready to give you. And I want to just pause briefly because sometimes we make the mistake, honestly, as church staff people, that everyone that comes has already totally made up their mind about faith. Paul makes a question here. If this is you, if this is your story, and if you're not sure of where you're at with faith, know that God is for you. He's for you. And he says, if you believe in me, then my spirit is already living in you. And so if you come to that first question, you're like, I don't even know where I'm at this morning. Know that this is a church that longs for you to find an answer. There are groups, there are pastors, there are deacons, there are Stephen ministers. We long to have you find an answer to this question. So walk with us and answer the question. If God is for you, Because if the answer is, yeah, that's my story, as many of us would say, then there's this great reminder, you, verse 9, this is you, and this is meant to be me? Yeah, you. This is your story. If you're in faith, this spirit, this power is fully available to you. But we we forget, and we're self-critical so often, and so Paul says that we need a new mindset. We need a new mindset as a church that we would constantly be reminded by our new mindset of the power that's available, that the house of faith is good and that God is for me and his spirit already dwells in me, that the peace that he longs to give. How? How will we get it? Paul says this is the the hidden hero of Romans 8. It's the spirit. Now the hidden hero of Romans 8, this spirit is in Greek, the word is pneuma, And it's this word pneuma is used 21 times in chapter 8. The the focus on chapter 8 isn't about you and your great faith and about your works and about what you did. You, you did it. You brought coats to the homeless. Oh, the focus is on the spirit, that the spirit of God lives in you. And so we need this new mindset for the uncriticized ones, the uncondemned ones, that where the spirit is, there is power. And if we are Christians... That power is ours. Because where the Spirit is, there is power. So may we be reminded in a new mindset that the Spirit of God is already present. Napoleon Bonaparte is is said to have made this comment that we men of power merely rearrange the world, but it is only people of the Spirit who really change it. And certainly, as Christians, we're called to be reminded that it is the Spirit of God that changes us that when unleashed in our life becomes the very light that needs to be shown to a broken world. And so if you're like me, then we need this new mindset to be quieting the critical voices in our head. This is like when, the, when, when John says in John 3.30, he must become greater, speaking about Jesus, I must become less. This is maybe a journey you need to take in the week ahead. When life gets hard and the critical one starts to speak words of condemnation into your heart, may you feel the power of the Spirit who's wanting to free you up. This is the foundation of our faith coming through Romans 8. And it's good. I was talking to one of you last week. It's like, man, we just, we need more of Romans. And I agree. Like, it's, this is like, 
This is core theology for us. We should almost, you know, I hereby propose an annual Romans sermon series. Every, like, we just need to remind ourselves over and over again because it's the foundation of our faith. If the Spirit of God is in me, and it is as a follower of Christ, I have a new mindset to unleash that Spirit, to be more aware of God's great love for me. This is my foundation, and without foundation, I totally lose my value in the world. Our first home in Seattle, we moved from California, moved from Los Angeles, bought a condo, and then a couple years later, we wanted to start a family, we started a family, bought our first house, 100-year-old house, craftsman house, which just means it was full of really craftsman-looking pieces of junk, like the house needed a lot of work, right? 100 years old, and we worked on it. Man, we did it. We brought our second child home that, I mean, we did the kitchen, we did the bathroom, we did the basement. We painted it. We landscaped it. I mean, it was great. And then we go to sell it. And the realtor sends an appraiser over, and the realtor appraiser walks around and said, it's all good, except for the foundation. He looks at me. He's like, have you seen these cracks? Hadn't really paid attention. I was in the attic painting the master bathroom. He's like, honestly, he's like, if this foundation is as bad as I think it might be, your house might as well be worth nothing. I, 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 we can fix it. He's sending a, a foundation guy over. It's like a $130,000 quote. They were going to lift the house, pour a whole new foundation. Luckily, they sent another person to do a quote. And like, you know what? We can fix this with caulk. I'm like, I like this guy. Tell me more. <laughs> He's like, this house has been here for 100 years. Like, it, you know, yeah, there's cracks but the foundation is good. And, and the cracks, the things it's been through are not, they're not compromising its integrity. You're fine. The foundation of our faith is a new mindset that we might be more and more cognizant that the Spirit of God lives in us. And when we're reminded of that, it bears in us a new responsibility, a new responsibility as God's people. Let's hear verses 12 through 30 of Romans 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sons and daughters and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and daughtership, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. To try to teach Romans 8 on a simple Sunday is a bit audacious. There's so much in this last passage that really needs a year to exegete and unpack. So my encouragement to you this morning, in just hearing the scriptures read, it would incite in you curiosity around some of those big ifs that you're nursing, places where you're wanting more of God's power through his spirit. Because what Paul says here is core theology for me, that glory is possible, but it always follows suffering. And that if we make an idol out of a pain-free Christian life, it's not at all consistent with the modern world. No, Paul says, we will hurt, present sufferings, he says. I'm not exactly sure what he's saying to the church in Rome, likely the persecution, because remember the first 300 years, to be a Christian, to be baptized publicly was to put your life on the line. So if these people understood suffering, these people understood condemnation, these people understood judgment, and yet Paul's saying the joy of the unity of their family of faith transcends their pain. And so he says, groan away, God can, ha- can handle it. This is the hope in which we were saved, not that we would live pain-free lives, but that the Spirit will help us in our weakness. Verse 22, that with the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I bear witness to five births, one of a child in heaven and four on earth. I understand groaning. Several of those were medically induced after we lost our child, but one of them, my, my second live birth, my son Kincaid, man, there was no medication. This just went down. You want to talk about groaning? It wasn't like, oh. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, like groaning, you know, like doctors come running, nurses, and like, oh my gosh, you know, and all the men in the room are like, yeah, I get it. I had the flu once, and women are like, punch you in the gut. You have no idea because the pain, right? Like, Paul's like, that's what it feels like to be alive sometimes. The entire creation groaning like that, like, oh, no, like, scream your head off pain. And yet Paul says, God can handle it. And yeah, I get it. Yeah, I feel it too. John 8, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we're we're asked to hold this intention, says Paul, that we will hurt and yet God can somehow make something beautiful out of the mess, out of the chaos. 
And in the church, we've done much harm by misinterpreting this verse. Oh, in all things, God works together for my good. In all things, like that sound, that's not even the tune to a song. I mean, it's like, you've heard the church sing it. It's going to be good. And then you ask people why they bail on their faith. And it's because they said, no one ever told me that it would hurt like this. But if the all things that Paul is talking about, and it is, He's saying, in all things, God can be glorified. And so when you hurt, know that God is present with you. When you're in pain, know that God can handle it and know that it's not all good things, but in the pain of this modern world, God can somehow be glorified by it. I know this. I'm a survivor of grief, and nothing could cause God to call, you know, he didn't, he didn't take my child away. He doesn't strike us with pain in order to hurt us, but he's present in the pain so that even in our darkest moments, God's saying, I'm here, and we'll somehow get through this together. We'll get through this together. And some of you in this room have been begging for God to take the pain away, and maybe, just maybe, God's saying, let's just see what I can do with this pain. Will you trust me? even in the darkest moments. God's saying, I can be glorified even on your worst of days. This is the way of the cross. We should know this. Matthew 16, Jesus says, anyone wants to save their life will lose it, but anyone loses their life will find it. And even in the Old Testament, there's a marker that this is gonna be the way of the Christian faith. Not all easy roads, but a road leading to more of God's glory in me, God's house, And so when we hurt, we say, Lord Jesus, be present, and we groan away. Said this story many, many times, but when we lost our child, I would get in the car after taking care of everyone, and I would just scream, God can handle it. He can handle your pain, and he's present in anything that you're going through. And I know how hard it is to hurt, but know that God is present. He wants to be glorified Even in your painful situations, in the Old Testament, Jacob's family, Joseph, his son, Joseph was subjected to prison, he was beaten, he was betrayed by his family of origin, he he, he lived up in a foreign land where he was accused of adultery. I mean, you understand pain? Joseph did. But by the end of his life, he didn't say, ah, it didn't really hurt that much. No, he was reconciled to his family. And in Genesis 50, Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It will hurt, but God will still build us up. And so in our brokenness, we can trust that we are utterly worthy of his love. And anyone can love you on the best day of your life. But who will stand with you on the worst day of your life? Jesus will and has. He's never departed you. And so somehow this middle part of Romans 8, though it's so challenging, is this encouragement where Paul is saying, church, we need to live like a family. We need to live like a family. And and God wants to encourage you this morning. If if every time you hurt in this world, if you're going to accuse him of not loving you, he's not going to bail out on you. But maybe, just maybe, he's saying, would you trust me? Yeah, you will hurt. And things will be confusing at times. But in your darkest of days is when I'm most present to you. 
And so live like a family. Your destination is confirmed. You've been predestined. You've been called. You've been called. You've been justified. You've been justified. You've been glorified. And so when you hurt, may you return to Romans 8.30. God, I've been glorified, and yet I'm hurting right now. Would your love be present in my life? Live like a family. And, And stop threatening God to run out on him every time your heart hurts. He hurts too. But the gift of faith that you've been brought into is superseding of any pain. And I know, I've been through some of the hardest things. And I've stood with other people. After the first service, one of my brothers in Christ grabbed me, a man who's lost his wife, who's been through the hardest things. But joy awaits on the far side of suffering. I can promise you, and I've seen, the greatest faiths are not those that are absolved of any pain. Well, the greatest face are those people that have heard and know God's presence even in the middle of the pain. And so live like a family. And may you know and be reminded that the gift has been given to you to be freely enjoyed. When we were kids, my parents were kind of working class, lower middle middle class. I wouldn't call us the working poor, but kind of. We would take a road trip every year. We didn't have a lot, but one of my dad's customers said, hey, I've got this this place your family can go and stay. It's nice, he said. You should enjoy it. So we drove from Seattle area to, to Northern California. All we knew was there was a house in a gated community near a golf course named Silverado, a golf resort in Napa Valley. We were young boys. We'd been on the road for a while. We got to the house, and to our amazement, it wasn't just a house. It was bigger than our home back in Olympia. Six, seven bedrooms all of them private baths. It was a mansion overlooking a fairway of a golf course. We ran through the house picking our bedrooms, opening the fridge, the fridge full of great food and drink. And then my brother called, hey, check out the garage. We ran down the garage. Golf carts loaded with golf clubs. We don't even play golf. This is amazing. And each cart gave us membership. We were, we were indoctrinated into the membership of the Silverado Golf Course. Hey, <laughs> We go out on the golf course. You know, people are like, these, these people do not belong here at Silverado. We're like, we don't care. We're like, hutcha, hutcha, you know, trying to swing and just like digging into the fairway, you know, and wearing football cleats instead of golf shoes. You know, it didn't matter because we had an ability to be on the course because of the gift to my father. Do you see? Didn't earn it, but out on that course, whacking away, even though we were 200 handicap, we were had equal standing. It's a gift. Receive it and live like it. Even when life is hard, even in the midst of the beautiful gifts, there's a responsibility. And finally, there is a power available to us, the church of new life. Here now, the final eight verses of Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. This is really the big idea. There's so much in this chapter that I just want to sit with you We could have a cup of coffee, we'll sit by a fire, we'll take our time. But if I could leave you with something this morning, and I must, I want to remind you that there's a big movement in Romans 8. From the beginning, Paul reminds us we're no longer condemned. He's said that before. We're no longer condemned, we're no longer guilty. That's the movement from verse 1 to the end. Nothing can separate us. That there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And church, I want to challenge you. Because for a lot of us, our faith kind of stays at verse 1. I'm not condemned anymore. I'm not guilty anymore. I understand God's grace with my head. I'm not guilty. It's good. Let's, let's go into Sunday afternoon. Paul says, if you just stay there and no longer being condemned, you're missing something. No, may you be reminded by the end of the passage, Paul says, this is what matters, that you are inseparable from Jesus' love for you. And though that there are levers and forces constantly trying to divide and pry apart your heart, saying you'll never be worthy of his love, Paul reminds you at the end of Romans 8, this greatest sermon ever, that nothing can separate you. But no condemnation needs to be, it needs to move in our lives to no separation. We need to take this journey over and over again every single day. Lord Jesus, there's power in your name. This day, remind me, I'm inseparated from your love. It's inseparable. Not my sin yesterday, not my hard heart, not the places where I haven't gone or I have gone. Lord, change me. Send me on a different trajectory in this household of faith. But may you remind me, God, May you move me from just not being uncondemned and uncriticized to unseparated. And when I'm reminded of the inseparable nature of God's love for me, the questions dissolve away. Paul uses this device of rhetorical question in 32, 33. Who criticizes? What do we need? Who will advocate? Where will my power be? Will it be easy? The whole end of the chapter is all these rhetorical questions. Paul says the questions fall away and we can become convinced that there is a power awaiting us in the love of Jesus. For many, many, many of us, church, our head is where our faith lives. And we know some things. Paul comes to us in Romans 8 and says, move it to your heart and feel some things. And may you know the inseparable love of Jesus, the power that awaits in Christ. We need to be constantly reminded, church, this power is available for you. Not when you attain or achieve, this power is available to you. You, you, verse nine, you, it's you, the power is available. May you be reminded, well, where is the power from? The power is from the spirit of God, which comes from one place, the inseparable love that Jesus has for you. And church, I gotta just say it to you because a faith 
without the spirit is like a home without power. It is. And for many of us, we're sitting in the dark. We've decided some things about our faith, but we're sitting in the dark. My son and I once traveled to Canada and we were on the island which our little cabin was at and the storm was raging and the lights went out and the fear increased and we're sitting there in the dark. We started to light some candles and he he looks at me like this wasn't supposed to happen, right? We're okay, son. We made the best of it because here's the reality. His father was never absent from him. Never absent. Not because I'm super dad, but because that's the responsibility of the father. May you be reminded, church, that a faith without the spirit is like a home without power. And the father has never been absent from your life. And he's always been present, even on your worst of days. And he so wishes to unleash his power into your life. How? How? Church, we've got to tap into the power. We gotta tap in. If God is for me, if God is for me, nothing can separate me from the love of God. This morning, church, some of you are just asking huge what-if questions. Revelation 3.20 says, Lo, I stand at the door and I knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come and I'll dine with them. We know that, many of us, Romans 3.20, uh, Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And then the next verse, listen to verse 21. And to the victorious, I'll grant the right to sit with me on my throne. Who's victorious? You. You're more than a conqueror. If you're in faith, the Spirit of God is living in you, and yet many of you are sitting there in the dark, and the Spirit of God's like, I'm right here. Let's go out and remind them there's power, there's hope, there's glory. Yeah, you'll hurt, but I'm there too, and you'll get through this. And the greatest thing isn't the pain-free life. But it's God's glory manifest in this world. What if God wants to give you a big answer this morning? What if the hurt that you've been clinging to from the past, God said, I'm ready to look to the future. What if the spirit of God is waiting to be unleashed in you? What if your whole life would be different because this day remind me of the power? What if? May you know and believe And trust, Spirit of God, it's in you, you, you. Say it with me, church. The Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit of God is in me. May you know and be reminded, if God is for you, nothing can separate you from his unfailing love. Will you stand with me? As we close in prayer, Lord Jesus, this morning, remind your people. Remind them, God. This is where my words stop and your words begin. Spirit of God, fall fresh. We know there's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. We've got hungry people in the room right now, God. We have people that are sitting on big ifs. God, they're nursing great pains. The audacity to trust you in this moment feels overwhelming. Lord Jesus, may your spirit fall afresh in their lives. 
But God, there's people that want to encounter you in new ways. May your spirit fall in their lives. There's people that are hurting right now, God. Encourage him. There's people that are hopeful. What if it can stay like this? Spirit of God, be present here too. But God, we're so hungry and thirsty for more and more and more of this inseparable love. Move our faiths from our heads to our hearts. We know a faith without the spirit is like a home without power. And so build us up as homes with mighty faiths, with your spirit dwelling within us. If you're hungry for some spirit this morning, I want you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of the fear. I want, I, I want more of his spirit. Will you raise your hand? Lord Jesus, there's people that need to still raise their hand. We celebrate the raising of hands in this room. Lord, we know your spirit is falling and people are moving into intimacy with you. Or draw us in. We love you. We trust you. And all God's people said, amen. As we close in song, be reminded there's prayer ministers either at the end or at the conclusion of our service. People would long to pray with you. May you know the inseparable love of Jesus for you. Let's close in song.